Hello, and welcome to In the Dirt from the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. I'll be joined shortly by my co-host, Randall Jacobs. Every other week, we dive into the sport of gravel cycling, new announcements, new equipment, new events coming down the pipeline, and how the sport is fitting into our lives. In the Dirt is supported by listeners like you. Simply visit buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride to show your support for everything we do. If you're interested in connecting with Randall or I, or other members of the gravel cycling community, please consider joining The Ridership, a free global cycling community available at www.theridership.com. For now, let's dive right into my conversation with Randall. Randall, welcome to the show. Always a pleasure to be with you, Craig. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good. At this point, I think you could almost say, Craig, welcome to the show. Yeah, you're still hosting vastly more often than I am, so I need to up my game here. (laughs) Speaking of upping your game, you've transported yourself yet again since our last broadcast. So you were in Utah. Mm -hmm. Where are you? So I am back in San Francisco, staying in the marina for the month. I was very fortunate to have some friends who were out of town and just said, you're the keys to the apartment. So I have been road tripping and house sitting and and otherwise taking advantage of of a very flexible situation over these months, which has been great. Yeah, it was cool on your way back from Utah. I did see you in Palm Desert, California, which mm-hmm. was nice for an hour for a coffee and a little conversation. Yeah, we had a uh, coffee and a slush cone while watching your son go down a slip and slide with a bunch of other kids in Palm Desert. That may be interesting to some of our listeners. I think where you headed next was even more interesting. Is that before or after you headed to the Grand Canyon? That was after. So I had been in Southern Utah for a couple of weeks, potting with uh, a couple of friends and actually my youngest sister, which was great. So we hit up Bryce and Zion and uh, a few different parks in that area. A lot of trail running, a lot of hiking and a lot of just being outside. Brought a fire pit along. So sitting around, sitting outside around a fire pit, making things in the walk. Really lovely time. And a reminder of what life was like before pandemic. Two of my friends had been vaccinated and the rest of us got tested. And uh, so, you know, we did it in as safe a way as we could. And then being outside. It's so nice to have some of that normalcy creeping back into our lives. I feel the same thing. There's just been some casualness to my interactions with people that wasn't present a month ago prior to me getting the first shot of the vaccination anyway. Yeah. And I just got my first shot today, which I'm very pleased about. And it's no panacea. The effectiveness with new variants is still being tested and is shown to be a little bit less or potentially quite a bit less effective with new variants. And then there's you know, still research to be done on how long it lasts. But with boosters and with more people having some degree of immunity, it does seem like the worst is behind us, which is such a relief. Plus, the risk of serious illness is significantly lessened with these vaccines too. So strongly encourage everybody to take advantage as it's opening up to the full population. And after this is published tomorrow, I'm on my way for my second shot. So Excellent. I'm excited about that. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, so you actually made it you actually made it into the Grand Canyon, did you not? I did. After I left my group of friends and my younger sister there, I drove down to the South Rim and uh, camped out and then woke up the next morning, had a lovely breakfast and coffee on the rim and then ran down to the river. Uh, really nice way to spend a day. Got back up at about, was about 1 o'clock or so, one thirty. then had a beverage with a friend in Flagstaff and then continue on to uh, Sedona. Nice. Is that a 3,000 foot drop off the edge? 
I think it's 48. Then a hell of a day getting back out. Yeah, I was more beat than I was expecting to be. But granted, it, it was a, a bit brazen of me to do a Grand Canyon run relatively off the couch. I haven't been training much at all. I've been using this time to recover overall. And I was definitely hurting towards the end of it. But it was something I've been wanting to do for some time and was really a, a day well spent. Yeah, Sam, the one time I went down there, I remember the way out, it was like, it was all good until it wasn't. And that's like, still got another 1500 feet to hike out of here. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was stunning, though. I just went, didn't out and back on the South Kaibab Trail for those in the know or, or who are curious. There's also you can do rim to rim. I didn't do that. People who do that rim to rim in a day, that's pretty ambitious. And you can also go up the Angels Landing Trail, I believe which is a bigger loop, which I didn't tackle because it was another seven miles of flats and I didn't need that. Okay. Hey, did you know that the Arizona trail race, the AZT, there's the 350 and the 750. And the 750 involves you hiking the Grand Canyon rim to rim with your bike on your back. Your (laughs) tires are not allowed to touch the ground. You can't ride in that park as you probably saw. Mm -hmm, So to mm -hmm. complete the Arizona Trail 750, you have to hike down and out the other side. Oh, that sounds awful. And even if you were allowed to ride your bike down, it, it would probably be a bad idea, at least not without a proper dual suspension mountain bike with knobbies and one, in which case you have that much more bike to carry up all the stuff that is completely unrideable. Yeah, for the listener, there are a few really good documentaries I've seen on Netflix, I believe, maybe Amazon Prime about the AZ T350 and the 750. Really cool. Definitely not gravel bike terrain. It's purportedly a very difficult, rocky route. In fact, many people find it just too rough to even attempt. But it's one of these bikepacking races that has a grand départ day and people just go off and finish days and weeks apart from one another. Okay. So people are stretching it out over a period of time, enjoying the scenery. It's not like a 24 hour slog or something like that, where people are just knocking out 300, 400 miles in a go. It's longer than that, but people, it's definitely raced. So I think every year there's people who are doing it as, dare I say, tourists, but uh, it's probably not the right word, but there are definitely people going for it. And there's definitely an FKT for the AZT 350 and the 750 that people are gunning for periodically. Beast mode. That's uh, that's a lot of riding. <laughs> more, yeah. more than I, I have the stomach for at the moment. Exactly. So speaking of riding and racing, I w- actually had a good time. I think both Saturday and Sunday, I saw the return of proper gravel racing. Mm-hmm. And while it may be a little too soon for me to don a number, both physically and, and really just where I'm at in terms of the pandemic. It was really cool to see my buddy Sam Ames race the rock cobbler go off outside of Bakersfield in California. Mm-hmm. The, the race has been around a number of years. He's been a guest on the podcast. I was excited to see they were sponsored by Bianchi this year. So getting a little bit more resources behind the event. Sam's known for the quirkiness of his events. The first year, I think, had riders ride through someone's house as part of the course, (laughs) which was crazy. So I was waited with bated breath to see what was going to be the shenanigan of the year. And the one thing I saw, courtesy of our friends at Pure Gravel, who were filming a lot of it, was they had a ball pit. (laughs) And I can say from the footage I saw unequivocally, if you're ever presented with a ball pit in a gravel race, do not try to ride it. I think... (laughs) 
100% of the people I saw crashed and some crashed heavily. How deep is this ball pit? I suppose there's like a, there's a zone where if it's not deep enough, it's really bad. But if it's deep enough, it's, you're still going to crash, but it'll be delightful. Yeah, I think it was, <laughs> I think it was not deep enough for the way that people were grimacing when they stood up. <laughs> Jeez. But anyway, I mean, uh, the guys, again, follow Pure Gravel on Instagram. They've got some footage of that race that I think people get a kick out of. And then another account on Instagram I started following was Southeast Gravel. And there was an event called the Greenwood Gravel Grinder, which had some hitters out in it, out on the East Coast. And it was fun. They had a motorcycle out there capturing footage. So it reminded me of maybe Mid-South in 2019, where I was just able to sit as an armchair quarterback and watch athletes just rip through these gravel courses which was fun again we were as we were talking about a few minutes ago just those sort of senses of a return to normalcy are beginning to be there and uh, so that was a lot of fun to see excellent yeah i have a couple of events that i'm looking at for the late spring early summer on the east coast and it does feel like these things can be pulled off safely now granted with a lot of good protocol and people adhering to it yeah, I think when you subtract out maybe the, the food and beverages afterwards, or, or at least alternate how they're delivered, um, you really do have the opportunity. If riders are being safe, then I think you can pull these things off. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is out on that I can think of is like you can stagger the starts so people aren't all grouped together, but really having a rule around the drafting and things like that, because it's actually in that draft that is also the sweet spot for any sort of vapor coming out of one's mouth. And so that's a good place to get a good dose of COVID if you're drafting somebody. That's the trickiest thing for me, because as when I'm dying late in a race, if I see a wheel to follow, I'm definitely going to hop on it. Yeah, yeah. It definitely needs to be a, an explicit rule that's stated and that everyone agrees to, I think. So for all yeah. you event organizers out there, something to consider. And then another event popped onto my radar that I thought the listener might be interested in. In Trinidad, Colorado, Lifetime, who's the owner of Crusher and the Tusher and Unbound Gravel, formerly Dirty Kanza, has started a new event called the Rad Dirt Fest. And it's part running festival, part gravel festival. Longtime listeners may be familiar with Trinidad, Colorado, because I had an interview back in 2019 with Ron De La Roca, who reached out to me and said, I really want to make this region of Colorado, which is in the, the very southern tip, very close to New Mexico, a gravel destination because we've got phenomenal roads. We've got some nice mountain passes and it's just a perfect place for gravel racing. So it was interesting. And I reached out to Juan and, and asked him if he had been in contact with the Lifetime team. And he said he had interesting that they're picking yet another kind of mountain community to impact and hopefully in a very positive way for a region that doesn't have much going on now that certain industries have left the region. Mm, very cool. Yeah, it's so, springtime in the gravel events world. Yes. The blossoming of gravel again, once again. <laughs> I mean, hopefully this tail end of the year is we were hoping 2020 would be where gravel events were plentiful. The investment and organization levels were continue to increase and improve and people were just out there having a blast. And it ties into kind of the other end of the gravel event spectrum uh, that we are going to chat about today, which is impromptu gatherings of people and being able to facilitate that more effectively. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Speaking of impromptu gatherings, you had a bit of an adventure last weekend, right? I had a great adventure. So talk about quirky events. So there's the, the Super Pro series here in California, which my good friend Isaac has uh, done in the past and uh, has volunteered for. And so he had all the beta on the route that we did in the Pinoche Hills, which is not a very well-known area of California, but it is stunningly beautiful. And we yeah, got the there, it's halfway between LA and San Francisco off the five. Okay. So off the five kind of, and then if you go west of there on the other side is Hollister and there's Pinoche Road that goes through and it's a, a pockmarked paved road with lots of potholes, but I was fine barnstorming it in my Prius. So uh, really stunning area. And we got there before everything had dried out. So you had these beautiful hues of different greens and wildflowers out and then some brown hills in the distance and a good amount of elevation. I think the highest point is... 3,000 plus, hella steep, like brutally steep in sections, both up and down. Uh, so we definitely got worked and it was a, just a, a really delightful time. Weather couldn't have been better. And we stayed at the Mercy Hot Springs, which is a stunning little sanctuary in the middle of this desert area where there's the only grove of trees for some distance and it's just filled with birds that wake you up in the morning and you know, wake up to a beautiful sunrise. Really fantastic time. That's awesome. How would you characterize the dirt as compared to Marin County? Marin County, the actual trails themselves are way more fun to ride, I would say. What's unique about being out there is the vistas and the beauty of the terrain and the fact that you can be so remote, so close to a major metropolitan area. It, it was just gorgeous for that. And being able to do a, a monster loop and just see the whole ridgeline that you're going to tackle as you're riding. Was it uh, sort of Double track slash fire road? Are we on single track? Mostly double track. And some of it was properly fun and technical. I tend to like the faster flowy mixed double track, single track stuff that we have uh, here in the Bay. But this was rewarding in a different way. This was a cover lots of ground, slog your way up a big hill, get a beautiful view, rewarding ride. So out of intellectual curiosity, if you were living in that area, do you think your wheel set would be different than it normally is? And for normal, I, I always have in my mind that you're a 650 by 47 guy. Yeah, actually, no, I wouldn't run any more and I wouldn't run any less. In Marin, I would run more. And in fact, in one, we'll keep that mostly under wraps, but I, I do have some plans for something that would allow for a little bit more in the future. Yeah, I always find it interesting, as everybody knows, I'm usually in that 650 by 47, although I'm down to 43s right now, camp. And I wonder if I went somewhere with a little less technical terrain, whether I would opt for something narrower, as plenty of riders do. It actually ties into another thing we we're going to discuss today, which is this uh, article from Renee Hurst, who you had on the podcast before, that was shared in the ridership, talking about whether wider tires are slower or faster. And its findings suggest that tire construction is a major determinant there, not tire volume. And so there's really no upside to going with those 650 by 43s, but there is the downside in that you don't have all that extra volume to take the shock away. So I would, I'd be sticking with a minimum 650 by 47 for the sort of stuff we ride. I am yeah. curious about how you find those though. Yeah, I'll let you know since I'm just switching over to them again. I'm on this journey to test the limits and everything in between. Mm -hmm. So I've got a, a 700 by 32 slick set up, but a durable mm -hmm. tire from Panaracer, a Gravel King Plus, and then a Gravel King SK 650 by 43 
right now that the setup on. And I should disclose, and I'm very excited about this. I was invited to become a Panaracer ambassador for the year. Awesome. That's great. And it's a little bit like coming home. It's fun because the Panaracer Gravel King SK on my original open 650 by 48 was the tire and the bike setup that really opened my eyes to what gravel could be and mean. And I don't think I swapped that tire for two years. In fact, I only stopped running it when I got my open simply because WTB or WTB was the tire offering that, that you guys had to offer on the thesis. Yeah, it's, it's fun coming full circle and seeing if these tires were everything that I remembered them to be. And as I said, I've set up these super narrow road tires. It's super, it's funny to say super narrow at 32 millimeters, but I've set them up and I've been trying to ride a little bit of dirt on them just to, again, just to test the limits and also encourage myself to choose different routes, get further north into Marin before I hit the dirt and try some new stuff. I do find it remarkable how capable that setup can be on hard pack. I've ridden around here on the peninsula. There's the Sweeney Ridge loop that has a section of single track going up and some beat up, broken down, paved sections coming down. And between a 700 by 30 setup on our wide rims and then having the dropper post so I can really take the edge off by you know, using a bit of body English, letting the bike dance underneath me. It's remarkable how fast that stuff can be hit, especially if you, you, I think I have the added advantage of knowing that I can replace the rim cheaply enough, but so I take, I might take more risks than most, but nonetheless. Yeah, I was riding, I was in Topanga for the last weekend and I was riding it on some dirt, those 32s. And I will say it was definitely in my head descending. I had no problem whatsoever climbing as it was flowing. I felt good. I didn't feel like I was getting too crazy in the corners, but as I started to point it downhill, I really found myself backing it off. And that's where the big tire volumes, you just don't have to think about it. I think that's what I love about running big. It'll get up the hills, no problem. But when you're going down the hills, you can just hit more stuff. And I want to come back to this article that I was brought up a moment ago, because it's relevant to this conversation. It's talking about, essentially, they're making the argument that with a, a well-constructed, which means higher-end materials, generally what you need aftermarket with tires like Rene Hurst, there are others who make premium tires as well with similar construction, incidentally, in their case, by Panaracer, you're not losing out on rolling resistance. And in fact, there was a very interesting phenomenon that they found here which was uh, they're looking at tire pressure and everybody's favorite subject. Yeah. And I, I, this is actually something that it makes sense to me having read it, but I definitely didn't intuit it at first. I, I want to use his words here. So he's looking at optimal tire pressure and what they found was that having a lower pressure can have low rolling resistance or, or relatively high efficiency. Having a higher pressure can have a relatively high efficiency, but there's a middle pressure where it's actually the worst of both worlds. And the mechanism that they suggest is this, and this is a quote, is the tires are pumped up harder, suspension losses caused by vibrations increase more than the hysteric losses caused by deformation of the tire because those, as those go down. As a result, the total combined resistance goes up at first, so you can either minimize suspension losses with low pressure or hysteric losses with high pressure. But the compromise means that both suspension and hysteric losses are relatively high and you go slower than you would at either end of the spectrum, which for me is a license to continue running low pressure, which I was going to do anyways. 
Yeah, it's fascinating. And I will link to my conversation with the author, Jan Ane from Rene Air Cycles. And I encourage everybody to check out his blog on reneeairs.com. And I'll, we'll link to the conversation in the ridership and you'll be able to find your way to these blog posts. But it was fascinating. And as you and I were talking about offline, like I'm not totally sure. I've got a crappy gauge on my pump, relatively crappy, I'll say. And it's just consistent. Like it's crappy across every time I pump up the tire. Mm -hmm. So I know what I think I know, but I'm not exactly sure where I'm at. I do a little bit by feel and a little bit by the gauge, but I'm concerned that I may end up in the middle zone. Cause I think that's the easiest place to be. It's pretty easy to pump your tire up to the maximum recommended tubeless pressure and know that you're too high on the pressure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The too low side is maybe something that's we fear hitting because there are realistic concerns, right? Of going too low on the tire pressure, you're going to bottom out, you might damage your rim, but how to avoid being in the middle for your individual weight and setup is tricky. And it's probably going to involve a little bit of personal trial and error and maybe us all investing in a little bit better quality tire gauge. Yeah, it, it's the tire gauges that come on the vast majority of pumps are pretty rubbish and they're good from a relative perspective, measuring from one day to the next and and comparing those pressures. So if you have a pressure you like, stick with it, but not as an absolute measure of of accuracy. And so I'll, I'll probably be investing in the same though. At the same time, there's still that element of knowing how I ride, how things feel and that limits of where I can tell that I'm close to bottoming out a rim on the terrain that I'm riding. And that tends to be one of my gauges because I, I ride pretty hard. So that limits the low end of the pressure I can use, especially a bit of the dropper post and a bit of body English helps to mitigate that to some degree. But at the same time, one bad line can be uh, a bad day with a cracked carbon rim. Yeah, I think my experience on the mountain bike is definitely it's told me time and time again, like experiment on the lower side of the spectrum, not the higher side of the spectrum. Oh yeah. You don't want a pogo stick. <laughs> exactly. Fascinating stuff as always. And and as we know, people will geek out over tires and tire pressure all day long. Mm. The other thing that was cool I wanted to highlight is you know, you've been getting together with that select group of people via the ridership. And one of the things we have always talked about in the ridership is once we're out of this pandemic, how do we facilitate getting people together and think about tools to make that coordination easier and better. And already we're seeing this behavior just emerge. Uh, so we're currently running the forum on Slack. And so in Slack, you can have direct messages with, with I think, up to eight people. Is that right? Yeah. So in this case, one person suggested it, and then another person chimed in with a route, and then three more people who were interested said, hell yeah. And I think from there it went to a DM, or maybe it started in a direct message uh, thread. And these are people who uh, I had met, one was a good friend, two others I actually met through thesis. They were early thesis riders. And then the fourth was a friend of theirs. And we had only ever interacted as a group uh, through the forum. And then this ride came together and started planning the camping arrangements, who's bringing what and all that stuff. And just being able to do it asynchronously, but quickly in this sort of format and invite people and share materials like routes and campsites and so on on the fly was a great experience. And so there's some things that we could probably do to enhance it further. And we'll be experimenting with some plugins and so on in Slack. But it was 
really just very encouraging. It's, this, it's the second or third time that I've had this sort of thing come together. And we're seeing other people do it as well. Other people in the regional channel saying, hey, I just got vaccinated. Does anyone want to plan a ride for later in the month? This sort of thing. Yeah, that's what it's here for. Not to overly plug the ridership, but everybody listening is invited. It's a free forum to connect with other riders. And as Randall said, we're actively listening to everybody in the forum and trying to build great things that are going to enhance your cycling experience. Online tools for the facilitation of offline connection and experience. And everyone gets a free ride with GPS account as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good time for us to call it quits for this week. Good to reconnect. And now that you're in the Bay Area, before you leave again, we're going to get for a ride together. Yeah, I will see you on Friday. Right on. That's it for this week's episode of In the Dirt from the Gravel Ride podcast. Thank you for spending part of your week with us. If you're looking to provide a little bit of feedback for the podcast, please join the ridership at www.theridership.com. And if you're so inclined, please visit me at buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride to support the show. Or additionally, ratings and reviews are hugely helpful in the podcast game. I read everything that's written about the show and always look forward to your feedback. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. <laughs>